The story I'm going to share with you this week is different than the ones I've shared before. That's because this story is still evolving in real time. When Angela Green went missing in June 2019 in Prairie Village, Kansas, the search for her did not begin like you would imagine. In fact, it didn't really begin at all until eight months after she was last seen. A delay that can be attributed entirely to one person Angela's daughter and Angela's family believes holds all the answers to Angela's disappearance, but refuses to this day to give them up. Her husband, Jeff. Welcome to the podcast that reminds you it isn't the boogeyman you should be worried about. It's the stranger you know. Michelle's earliest memories of her Aunt Angela, or Angie as you'll hear her call her, start around the time that Angela moved in with Michelle and her family in Kansas, after immigrating from China to the U.S. Um, She moved to the U.S. when she was 28, and she lived with my family when she first came to the U.S., and I just remember when we met her at the airport, she kind of like floated towards us in this beautiful, long, lace black dress, and then um, she like came over to me and like held my hand, and I just like never let go. And, um, so when she lived with my family, like I would sneak her into a room and we would have sleepovers and she was very, very crafty. She grew up, um, running track. So she was very athletic. We, um, make like, she would make homemade ornaments and, um, cause she didn't come to China with a lot of money and like, was like, didn't want to ask my parents for too many things. So she'd find like scraps around the house and end up making something really, really beautiful out of it. Um, and then give it to me. And we still have ornaments on our Christmas tree that I found this year that she like handmade. Despite how much Michelle loved her Aunt Angela living with her and her family, Angela eventually moved out and moved in with her fiance, a man named Jeff Green. Angela's connection to Jeff had actually been orchestrated by her parents, who had met Jeff while visiting Angela's sister. Michelle's mother, in Kansas, and had thought that Angela and Jeff would be a great match. So Jeff and Angie met um, because Angie was still in China. She was really eager to start a family. Uh, And so then when my grandparents came to the U.S. to Kansas to help my parents take care of my sister and I, they met Jeff through a family friend or through a mutual friend. And um, they were like, oh, this is great. Like at the time he had traveled to China for a little bit to, cause he worked in like auto parts or something like that. I don't know much about what he did um, previously, but it had something to do with like dealing auto parts and like mechanical parts and stuff like that. So they were like, oh, this is perfect. We have like this single man who's like looking to settle down and get married. Um, and then like our daughter is looking for the same thing. And like, she'd like love to be close to her sister. And so maybe we can like try to set them up and see how it works out. 
And so they told Angie about Jeff. And then during one of his trips to China, they met up at like a hard rock cafe in Beijing. And my mom said she remembers Angie telling her about her first date. And she was like really giddy and like really enjoyed it and was like, oh my gosh, he's so tall. He's so handsome. Like that was so much fun. He like bought me a hard rock cafe hat and a t-shirt and she like wore it around and was like really proud of it. So at first it was like a genuine relationship and like very loving and like she was very excited and things moved very quickly. He um, proposed and then she moved to the U.S. After moving to the U.S. and marrying Jeff, Angela settled into her new life and eventually welcomed a child, a daughter named Ellie. Michelle recalls how Angela really embraced becoming a mom and completely devoted herself to the role the moment she found out she was expecting. As soon as she became pregnant and then had Ellie, like Ellie just became her world and she was the most dedicated and like motivated mother. And she was so in love with Ellie and um, just like basically poured her whole life into her after she gave birth to Ellie. While Michelle has a lot of fond memories of the time she spent with her aunt as a child, she remembers seeing her much less after Michelle's family relocated from Kansas to New York. And as is usually the case when siblings grow older, get married, and start their own families, Michelle also recalls how her mother's relationship with her aunt grew more distant over time. Because we moved, my family moved away from Kansas when I was 10 years old. And then after we moved to New York, um, our families just kind of grew apart. I think um, like Angela was so devoted to Ellie and then my mom was focused on raising four kids. And so I think kind of just like naturally they um, kind of just like focused on their own families. And while Michelle's mother made efforts to maintain contact with her aunt Angela over the years, the sisters' communication was also strained by Angela's tendency to self-isolate and her preference to assimilate to her new life in the U.S. completely. Angie was also a huge recluse, like even with her own family. Like when she moved from China, she kind of like cut them off. She really wanted to be American and she like would only speak English to my mom. So when in February 2020, eight months had passed without Michelle's mother speaking to her sister Angela, it wasn't all that strange. Sometimes my mom would call her and she just like wouldn't feel like talking. So she just wouldn't pick up the phone. So my mom like didn't think it was too like unusual. But then after eight months had passed and then she kept trying to call her, she thought like, you know what, like Angie's being a little rude, but like if she wants space, then I'll give her her space and I'll just wait for her to call me back. But then Michelle's mother gets a distressing call from her niece, Ellie. Uh, so then it was February 13th of 2020 and my mom got a call from Ellie and at first she was like oh like why is she calling like what a pleasant surprise like I haven't heard from them in a while but then when she picked up the phone Ellie was just like sobbing and then she was saying like my mom died my mom died and so right when she told my mom that I had happened to like just get off work and call her at the same time and so my mom picked up the phone and was like hold on Ellie's on the other line she just told me that her mom died so I was like oh my god okay talk to her so then as soon as she hung up I texted my siblings to tell them and then I was thinking like, well, like naturally I was thinking that the death had just happened. So I was thinking like, okay, the boys need to like, we need to check their school schedules. Um, like my sister will probably got, my sister and I will need to take vacation days. Um, let's figure out like funeral arrangements, like a memorial, let's plan all this. And then I called my mom back and then she was just like, 
I am so confused. Michelle's mom was confused because when Ellie told her that Angela had died, she naturally assumed it had just happened. But then she realized that Ellie said her mother had died on the 16th. The thing was, it was February 13th. So when she points this out to Ellie to clarify when it was exactly that Angela had passed away, Ellie tells her she wasn't talking about the 16th of that month, or even the month before. Ellie tells her that her mom had died on July 16th, seven months earlier. Michelle's mother is so struck by the news that she literally has a panic attack. So Michelle steps in to try to sort out the details of what exactly had happened to her aunt. But the more questions Michelle asked Ellie, the more alarmed she grew. Ellie tells Michelle that she had last seen her mom in June 2019. At the time, Ellie had just returned from a two-month study abroad program in Europe and was home visiting from college. But her mom had been having a really hard time with the separation between them while Ellie was away at school. For Angela, Ellie was literally her world. And she wanted to spend every minute with Ellie when she came home that summer. Which is why when Ellie told her mom that she was going out that day to spend time with her friend instead, her mom reacted angrily and basically told her to take her things and go. So she said the last time she saw her mom was like sometime in June and that they got into like a little fight and um, Angie like placed some of her things by the door and was like, if you like want to hang out with your friends so badly, then like go hang out with your friends and don't stay home with us. So Ellie was like crying and she like went in her car, grabbed her things and then drove around for a little bit. And she totally thought that like her mom was going to call or text her later and be like, okay, just kidding. Like come back and like come have dinner with us. But then that text never came. So then she ended up going to her boyfriend at the time's house. And he asked his grandparents, like, is it okay if Ellie stays with us for the night or a couple days? And they said, of course. So Ellie just didn't really question it. After going to stay with her boyfriend, Ellie expected her mom to reach out to her and to ask her to come back home. But she never heard from her. Instead, A few days later, she got a message from her dad, Jeff, telling her that her mom was at a mental health facility. Initially, the story that Jeff told Ellie was a couple days after Ellie was kicked out of the house, she um, had continued staying with her boyfriend's family. And Jeff sent her a text saying, um, we met mom in a mental institution. She was taken away. It was a struggle. Um, They said that they met her in a grocery store parking lot. And they like forcefully took her away and admitted her to an institution against her will. The news that her mom had been admitted to a mental hospital was concerning to Ellie, but not one she necessarily questioned. Ellie knew her mother had been struggling with her leaving to college and that it had taken a major toll on her mother's mental health. She had also noticed that her mom was getting like depressed and losing weight with Ellie in college. So she thought like, okay, maybe there were some like mental health issues there that needed to be fixed. And at 17 years old, Ellie didn't know enough to question how her father had legally committed her mother to a mental facility against her will. She just didn't understand that like, um, like that's just not something that happens. You don't just like rip someone away from a grocery 
producer parking lot and stick them in a mental institution against their will. When Ellie had asked her dad for more details, like where exactly the hospital was where her mother had been taken, he didn't give her much information, only telling her that it was somewhere down south. And again, Ellie didn't push for more than what he gave her. But in order for you to understand why exactly, it's worth pausing here to mention how Ellie had been raised by her parents. I think another thing worth noting about Ellie is that she grew up in a very, very isolated and sheltered childhood. Um, she was never allowed to have playdates, even with like neighborhood kids, like to go over for like a couple hours and play. Like she was never allowed to have sleepovers. Um, the first time she kind of was able to make close friends was in college. And um, she really did grow up like very, very isolated and um, was always taught to like obey and like never question her parents. And so when Jeff told her these things, she didn't question it. She just kind of said, okay, dad, whatever you think is best. So as the summer continued and Ellie stayed with her boyfriend, she was under the belief that her mom was receiving help for her mental health issues because she had no reason to believe otherwise. And then one day in July, Ellie received a text from her father telling her that he needed to talk to her. And then he drove over to her boyfriend's house and told her devastating news about her mother. And then Jeff told her a month later, it was um, July 17th, he drove up to Ellie's boyfriend's house and he told her, he said this verbatim, he said, Angela died of a stroke and then went back into his car and drove away. And Ellie said she just like crumbled. And then, um, so that was the story initially. Even worse than learning of her mother's death so abruptly was the fact that Ellie couldn't turn to Angela's side of the family for comfort while she mourned her mother's loss because her father had also made a specific request of her. He asked Ellie not to tell Angela's relatives about her death. It was an odd request, but one that Ellie honored because she figured he needed time to grieve. He had also told Ellie that he had no desire to hold a funeral for her mother and that her remains had been cremated. So Ellie respected his wishes and gave him time. But that time turned into months, and the little voice in the back of her mind kept screaming that her mother's family deserved to know, until that day in February when she picked up the phone and called her maternal aunt. But it was after this call, and when Michelle questioned Ellie on the details of Angela's death, that both she and Ellie quickly realized how little Ellie actually knew. Like, so like, where did your mom die? And she was like, I don't know. My mom, like my dad wouldn't tell me. All he told me was that she was taken to a mental institution somewhere down South. But then I just kept asking her questions, just like, um, was there a funeral? And she said, no, my dad didn't want to have one. Um, and then I said, do you know how she died? And then he said, like, he said a stroke. And I said, do you know when she died? She was like, I'm not sure. It was sometime in July. I don't know the exact date. Um, and then finally I was like, okay, um, is there a death certificate? Because, uh, and then she was like, what is a death certificate? A death certificate, which is maintained by the vital records office in the county or state where a death occurred, contains information like 
when a person died, the location where they died, and the cause of death. So Michelle knew that a death certificate could give them the answers they wanted. And so then um, I, the very next day, she drove to the vital records in Topeka, Kansas to go try to retrieve a death certificate. But when Ellie tried to get a copy of her mother's death certificate, there wasn't one. There wasn't any record of Angela's death in Kansas. When Michelle heard this, she immediately knew what it meant. As soon as we heard that, like my heart just immediately sank and I knew something was like immediately wrong. Um, Because at this point, if there was no death certificate in the state of Kansas, then there could only be three possible choices. One, that um, Angela died in another state. Um, Two, that she was still alive. Or three, that um, she was like she had died, but that it was kept a secret and never reported. Of course, Michelle and her family wanted to believe in that second possibility, more than anything, that Angela was still alive. But they also realized that given Angela's extreme reclusive nature, that possibility was highly unlikely. But the possibility that she is alive is just very, very, very slim, knowing Angie. And I think um, it's worth noting that she was like a massive homebody, like very reclusive, like didn't socialize, wasn't a part of any community groups, like no churches, no, like, even though she loved gardening, she like did it by herself. And um, she like wouldn't even go to the grocery store alone without either Ellie or Jeff, because she wanted to like avoid human interaction. And she wanted someone to like speak for her. She didn't have a bank account. She didn't have, like, if she wanted money, she would have to ask Jeff for money. It's at this point after discovering that there was no proof that Angela had actually died, that Angela's family knew they had to talk to Jeff. So Michelle's mother calls both Jeff and Angela's cell phones, trying desperately to figure out what was going on. And so she tried to call her sister again, and then she, like, of course, no answer, and she left a very, like, kind, like open-ended voice message, just being like, Jeff, Angela, this is Catherine. Like we have something very important to discuss. Please give me a call back. And then she left that voicemail. And then later that day, um, Ellie met up with Jeff and she was like, oh yeah, my dad said that he saw the phone call and he has no intention of calling your parents back. So then I was like, that is just such a slap in the face, like for him to not even like have the courtesy to like give them like five minutes on a phone call. And for, and my mom also was like, why is Ellie the one telling us this? Like, why is this like 17 year old girl having to tell us about her mom's death? And like her dad isn't like getting involved at all. So then I So then that's immediately when I called the Prairie Village Police Department and I requested a health and welfare check on Angela. At Michelle's request, the police visited Angela's home to conduct a wellness check. They spoke with the neighbors, who told them they hadn't seen Angela in a while, which was unusual since she was always outside gardening. The police were still questioning a neighbor when Jeff pulled up at the house, which gave them the opportunity to ask him about his wife. But the story he told police was not the same one he had been telling his daughter, Ellie, since July. 
while they were interviewing one of the neighbors, Jeff pulled up to the house and they were like, hi, can we speak to your wife, Angela? And he said, at that point is when he changed his story and said, oh, um, it was a three-day weekend at the time because it was President's Day that Monday. And he said, Angela's gone with friends for the three-day weekend. And so then the police called me and they gave me an update and they're like, there's really nothing we can do except for just wait for the three-day weekend to pass and see if Angela shows up. And I was like, wait. Then I gave them... Ellie's number. And I was like, you need to talk to Ellie. And like, she, you need to talk to like Angela's daughter and Jeff's daughter. And she can tell you exactly what she just told me. So they spoke to Ellie and they were like, oh yeah. So like, apparently like she thinks like her mom is dead, but like, you know, like Jeff said that she's gone. So there's nothing we can do. The response from the police was beyond frustrating for Angela's family who had initially believed like Ellie that Angela had been dead for seven months. And now here was Jeff changing his story to Angela taking off with friends as soon as police got involved. But if that didn't raise enough suspicion from Angela's side of the family that there was something Jeff wasn't saying, red flags definitely went up when they hear Jeff had quickly lawyered up soon after this initial conversation with police. And so then the police um, showed up again on Monday after the three-day weekend was coming to an end, and Jeff opened the door, handed them the business card of his criminal defense attorney and that he had hired over the weekend and said that he'd no longer be speaking to the police, and then shut the door on them, and he and his family have not spoken to the police ever since. Jeff had iced out not only the police, but anyone on Angela's side of the family that was asking questions about her and there was little they could do about it. There was one person that he was still talking to at the time, his daughter Ellie. With Ellie on board, Michelle asked her to maintain communications with her father so that hopefully they could get him to give more details about what had happened to Angela. Once um, the police became involved, once we found out that Jeff would no longer, like had no intentions of speaking to my family, we knew that he was still speaking to Ellie. So then um, we told Ellie, like, keep distance from your dad for now. Like, like, don't go over to his house one-on-one, or if you go, make sure you have your boyfriend or a friend with you at all times. But for now, phone calls would be safer. So then she, um, and then we're like there's just so many questions that we have to ask him so like i would make flow charts of like questions that we wanted to ask him that i would give to ellie and then we would rehearse beforehand like if he says this then say this if he says this then go this way and we would like map out all the questions that we had and then um i would ask her to record the phone calls so that i could review them afterwards and like transcribe them and like figure out what was going on and like find all the flaws and like all the inconsistencies in his responses Ellie began recording her conversations with her father, which was legal in their state because you only needed one party to consent to taking part in a recorded communication. And it's during one of these calls that Jeff confirmed the name of his defense attorney, which only ended up raising more suspicion once Michelle looked into his attorney's apparent area of expertise. One of the times when Ellie called him was when we wanted to ask about his lawyer and Jeff gave some sort of answer because I couldn't remember what his lawyer's name was. The police had told me, but I didn't write it down. So then I was just like, um, I just Googled like 
Kansas City like manslaughter lawyer. And then he was the very first one that popped up. And I was like, ah, yeah, that's his name. So then we decided to ask Jeff, like, so that's how I found him. But like, how did Jeff find him? And so then Ellie asked him, like, how did you find like this particular lawyer? And then he was like, oh, like he was at the top of like a bunch of lists. And I like looked across all these lists and he was on all of them so i just chose him so then i was like what list is he talking about like is it come like and so then i went back and tried to find like lists that his lawyer is on and they're all lists for like the best like murder lawyers in kansas or like the best manslaughter lawyers in kansas or the best involuntary manslaughter lawyers in kansas and those are the lists that he's on it's in these recorded conversations that ellie has with her father that you can hear the more questions Ellie asked him, the more glaring the holes in his story became. Ellie confronted her father on the fact that he had told police during their wellness check that Angela was out with friends, instead of telling them that Angela was dead, like he had been telling Ellie since July. But Jeff insisted that he had believed Angela was dead, but that after hearing from Ellie that no death certificate existed, he began to believe in the likelihood that maybe she was alive. But this only confused Ellie more. How could Jeff think her mother had taken off with friends when he had forcefully committed Angela to a mental hospital? Remember, his initial story to Ellie had been that Angela was admitted to a mental hospital against her will after a confrontation in a grocery store parking lot. But now, he told Ellie that actually never happened. Now he told her he had been at work when he received a call that Angela was at a facility getting treatment for her mental health. He had believed that was the case because Angela had disappeared. Here is Jeff telling Ellie this new version of what happened. What happened was I got a, I got a call at work that she was um, going to the hospital to get checked out. And, and then uh, I got a call that um, she was being evaluated and I couldn't see her until, I guess it was the following weekend. Um, so I made plans to kind of go down. Right. Set, set aside time, I didn't make any plans to do anything other than, okay, when I find out that I can come see her, I can see her. And, and where was that? Well, that's that I need to see if I can find out something because I didn't get any, this is all done by phone at work when it's busy and it's crazy. And um, it was like, we'll call you back and let you know when you come. And so, okay. So I figured I'd get information on where to go at that time. Um, and then I got a call that she had passed away. And then I got a call that um, funeral things and, and what do I want to do? And I'm like, oh my God, and it's crazy time. And, and um I can't hardly think straight and it's like, okay, let's do a cremation because I don't know what kind of arrangements we're going to be able to make or how soon. And and so then uh, um, I got a call that someone's going to come by the house and pick up money for the cremation. And um, so they did that and then they dropped, uh, I've got an urn and they dropped the urn back by and um, it was all done by phone. and. And now that I think about it, it was like... When was that? That was back in July, so... So, who came by for the cremation? 
Oh, I don't know. Um, uh, male, about 45. Um, a man, uh, uh, Caucasian, dark hair. That's all I can remember from my back like, window. How much money was it? No, it wasn't much. It was $1,500, which is about right for cremation. So. And where are the ashes at now? Well, that's the other thing. I got the I got the urn back, and there's no I didn't check it but until just this past weekend, and I I thought should I open the urn, you know? So I finally did. I opened it up, and it's empty. So there were no ashes in it. So I I it hey, felt screwy. It's where is that? Where is the urn? The urn's at home, at, at, in Prairie Village. I put it up on the shelf when I got it, and didn't think anything about it. What about the story you told me about like taking her from a parking lot and Well that was I didn't I didn't want you to think that she had run off with some stranger to do something and um I thought it would be uh Well Dad, you know I want the truth. Yeah, and it, yeah, and the truth is that she um, kind of disappeared. I didn't want you to think that she, you know, run off and gone somewhere. So, did you did you hurt mom? No. When Ellie's father had originally told her about her mother's death, Ellie's grief was so overwhelming it left no room for suspicion. But now, Ellie was not buying it. So she pushed back on the details that didn't add up. Has your story about mom changed anymore? No. Because first it was, you know, she's dead, and then now she's disappeared, so. Yeah, because I got a call that she was. She had passed away, so. But you can't tell me anything about that call, or who called you, or where, or anything. No, because um, I was uh, very busy at that particular point in time, so I didn't worry about it because I knew that information would come in different ways. But you, you excuse yourself from work. Like, whenever I call you, you excuse yourself from work. Well, it depends on what's going on. Most of the time, there's not a... uh, But it's like mom's dead. Why would you not excuse yourself from work? Ellie also pressed her father on his story about how he had come to possess what he believed to be Angela's cremated remains. And she expressed her disbelief that he had paid for an urn brought to him by a mysterious man blindly, without asking for any paperwork confirming his wife's death, giving the man... $1,500 in cash with no questions asked. And somebody doesn't just show up to your house with an urn. And I know you, and you're not going to agree to pay $1,500 in cash. Like, you will ask all the questions that you can before you hand over any amount of money. Well, it was... You can say that you are emotionally whatever in a place of of turmoil and grief and whatever but you would still ask all the questions that you needed to no not necessarily no 
With each call, you can hear Ellie's frustration with her father grow as she questioned his story, including his conclusion that Angela must have left with friends after it became clear there was no record of her death. But if there was anyone who knew how absurd that sounded, it was Ellie, because she knew her mother rarely left the house and had no friends that she knew of. And that conclusion didn't explain away the calls Jeff said he had received about Angela and the ashes he said he paid for that later turned out to be nothing more than an empty urn. But for this, Jeff also had an answer. I think not so much her fake her death as much as as told a scam on me to to make me feel bad, get back at me, whatever. Why? Because she was unhappy with me, that's why. Why was she unhappy with me? I haven't got a clue. If none of this makes sense to you, welcome to the club. Nothing that he was telling Ellie made sense to her either, and he knew it. Their recorded conversations are filled with long, tense pauses, as Ellie repeatedly pointed out the changes in his story and how little he seemed to care about actually finding his wife. But you haven't made any effort to find mom. Because I don't know where to, don't know where to look. I don't know what to do to look for. You, you offer some suggestions here. Go file a missing persons report at the police department. Go and tell them my wife is missing. Where is she? And maybe with the way I look at the world and the way mom is, if she wants to go off and do something, I'm fine with that. Jeff's lack of concern for his missing wife struck a nerve not only with Ellie, but with Angela's family as well. And his attitude of indifference over Angela being missing was especially unusual when you compare it to the behavior he exhibited towards Angela in their marriage. Behavior that, looking at it now, indicated a pattern of control and manipulation over her and everything she did. I think in hindsight, looking back, um, it's very obvious to me now that Jeff was a very controlling man. Um, very manipulative and secretive. Like, for example, before my aunt moved to the U.S., he did not tell his daughter, who was living with him at the time, that he had been planning to get married to Angela. He only told her once um, she was already in the U.S. And he was like, oh, by the way, I'm getting married. She's moving in. You have to move out. And he kicked her and her dog out. And um he lied to Angela about his age. He said that he was 15 years younger than he actually was. And um, he also, once they got married, like my parents were trying to help her like establish her credit and like set up a bank account. And he was like busy feeding her all these things being like, 
um, no, like the government will have control over you if you set up a bank account. Like I'm not putting your name on like the deed of the house because like the government will surveil you. Like if there were helicopters, he'd be like, get inside, like they're watching you. And these are things that like I didn't learn about until I was older and that Ellie didn't tell me and that I didn't learn about until Ellie was older. And like she told me later, like my mom always told me like that my dad's, we had to watch out for the helicopters. So like, and um, she said that growing up, like she never saw her parents like showing any affection towards each other. They slept in separate rooms. Um, her mom just like really like felt like she didn't want anything to do with him. But then at the time, like when I think back, like she really had no like if she were to um, like try to divorce him, she would have been left with like nothing because that's how he like purposefully set things up that if she were try to were if she were to try to leave him then like she'd be left with absolutely nothing I think also part of the reason why Angie would have to speak to my mom in English is so that Jeff would because she always sensed that Jeff was around so that Jeff could understand what they were talking about too because I remember at first my mom was like this is really weird like my sister will only like talk to me in English now like why is she because English is both their second languages so she was just saying like why is that but then she was like um, but like every time, like Jeff was always around too. So I, like, I think that it was just him trying to like have control over like what they were saying and know like what she was talking about with her sister. When it became clear that Jeff had no intention of searching for Angela, Ellie and Angela's family knew they had to escalate her disappearance beyond a welfare check. So Ellie filed a missing persons report herself and the police started a formal investigation into Angela's disappearance. But their investigation began at a severe disadvantage. By the time Angela had been reported missing, it had been eight months since she was last seen. Things like traffic cam footage, grocery parking lot footage, and areas where Angela may have been were all erased by the time the police got involved. Even a tip from Ellie about a U-Haul her father had rented a couple of days after he told Ellie her mother had supposedly been committed led nowhere because by that time, any potential evidence in that U-Haul was gone. The police did end up executing search warrants on three properties in connection to their investigation, including the family home. And there, they used a black light while searching to see if they could find traces of blood, but they found nothing. What they did uncover at the house only further confirmed what Angela's family had already known in their gut, that it was unlikely Angela was alive and out somewhere in the world on her own. During their search of the home, police found Angela's passport, driver's license, her car, car keys, cell phone, and wallet, all things she would have taken with her if she had in fact left voluntarily. Also, the Department of Homeland Security conducted a global search to see if they could uncover any signs of Angela traveling by plane, bus, or train, and they found nothing. There was also no evidence of Angela's death outside of the state either, a fact the police confirmed when they conducted a nationwide search for her death certificate. Without more, the police had little to go on, and the lack of information basically stalled out their investigation. 
So they really had a tough case to, to deal with. And um, shortly after, like five months later in July 2020, they declared it a cold case. The cold case label was the last thing Angela's family wanted to hear. Police labeling an investigation as a cold case means new leads in that case are virtually non-existent. And their investigation is essentially put on pause until new information emerges. But new information, that could be anything. It could be as major as a new witness or material evidence that is newly discovered. Or it could be as simple as a prime suspect finally getting caught with their own lies. Which is why Michelle and Ellie have taken Angela's story public, speaking to media outlets and even using social media as their way to raise awareness about her disappearance and to turn up the heat on the one person they see as the key to finding answers. So a lot of people ask me, like, why even, like, yeah, just why I'm like continuing to work on this. And honestly, it's like the, it's what I, it's the only thing I can think about. It's like the first thing I think about every morning when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I go to bed, I have nightmares about it. I have dreams about it. I, um, it just, and of course, as lawyers, there's like the court opinion, which we would love to get, but then there's also the public opinion. So I think one day it was like 3am. I was like, just like, so distraught and upset and just being like, this is just like, so like unjust. And this is so wrong. And like, I felt so hopeless and I didn't know what to do, but then I was like, okay, at least like, maybe I can just help spread awareness about our story. So That's why I picked up my phone and started doing TikToks and literally thought nothing of it, but was just like so desperate to get the word out about my aunt that like, I thought if this reaches like a couple other people, then that would be great. And then they can help spread the story. But then I think it was literally overnight. I woke up to like 6.9 million views and like people were very supportive, very responsive. I think people were like shocked about how bizarre the story is um, and how unusual it is. And then also just how people are really um, supportive and like looking for ways to support and like share a story, which is so, so important. I think a lot of people are like, what can we do? And they don't realize the power of sharing our story and the power of like word of mouth and just spreading our story because Ellie knows her dad better than anyone else. And she was just like, that's the last thing my dad would want is for this to like, for people to know about my mom and for people to know about my mom's case, because he wanted to keep everything quiet. He kind of wanted to like erase her mom from history. Just keep Ellie hush hush. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell her family. Um, just move on with your life. Like mom's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. And so he really just wanted to like erase her and have no one ever think of her again. And that's the complete opposite of what I'm going to allow to happen. I'm going to keep saying her name every single day and keep telling her story. And then, um, um, the goal is to get justice for her. Michelle has also started a GoFundMe as part of Angela's family's effort to raise the funds needed to pursue that justice for Angela. Funds that would go towards forcing Jeff to respond to the allegations that he had something to do with Angela's presumed death. You see, there are two arenas that comprise the U.S. legal system criminal law, and civil law. Angela's family doesn't have the power to force Jeff's cooperation in a criminal law context, but 
they can use all the tools of discovery that are available to them if they file a wrongful death suit against Jeff, including asking Jeff questions that he would have to answer under oath. So we started to go fund me um, to hire private investigators. And then also we were thinking about, we were contemplating um, filing a uh, wrongful death suit against Jeff, which is um, something that we've spoken about publicly as well. But we're just looking for the funds to be able to hire lawyers and um, private investigators. Until they know what happened to Angela, Michelle and Ellie continue to share her story every chance they get. But because of that effort, Ellie has lost more than just her mother. Her dad's side of the family has now completely shut her out. And like Jeff, they've also refused to cooperate with the police in moving their investigation forward. So Jeff's side of the family has completely cut her off. Um, I've ever since she got the police involved with her mom's case, um, I saw some of the texts that her aunt sent her and they were so nasty. Like Ellie is just so desperately trying to like find her mom and just said like, Hey, like, um, do you think we can grab lunch sometime? And then she said, like, is this just another way for you to try to get answers about your mom? Cause I want nothing to do with it. And then blocked her and then said like, do not contact me again. For Ellie, who no longer speaks to her dad either, it's like she's lost both her parents. Luckily, she has all the support in the world from her cousin, Michelle, and the rest of Angela's relatives as they continue their pursuit for justice. And hopefully, they have your support now, too. If you want to contribute to the GoFundMe Michelle has set up, that link is in the show notes. You can also follow Michelle on TikTok, where she posts updates spreading awareness about Angela's case. My TikTok handle on uh, is Mishguo, M-I-S-H-G-U-O. Angela's disappearance needs the public's attention so that one day it could be solved. Her case continues to be classified as a missing persons case, even though all signs indicate that it's unlikely she's alive. And if you would have known her in life, you would be convinced of that as well because she would have never abandoned her daughter, who she loved and adored more than life itself. So it's my hope that in the future, I'll be talking to Michelle and Ellie. But next time, it will be about real progress in their search for answers. Maybe a year from now, we can reconnect and you'll be giving me some really great updates. Thank you for believing in us. That means a lot. And that would be so ideal if a year from now we could be sitting down again in the same spot and um, hopefully giving you really, really um, useful and productive updates. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you like the podcast, please take a second to rate and review the show. It really will help it grow. You can also follow the podcast on social media on Instagram at The Stranger You Know Podcast and on Twitter at TSYKPod. Feel free to drop me a voice message on Spotify. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll play them on the show. And if you have a story about someone you knew who turned out to be a stranger, email it to the stranger you know podcast at gmail.com, and I'll share it on a future episode. Until then, trust no one.
Who's there? Um, ice cream. Ice cream who? Uh, I scream if you don't let me in. <laughs> Good one.